Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Unplugged Podcast. I am your host, Randy Osei, and today we're joined by CFL wide receiver and former fifth overall pick in the CFL draft, Nate Bahar. Nate, how are you doing today, sir? I am well, Randy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, man. I'm excited to have you. I would have paid to have you. You're one of those athletes I've been, uh, I've been researching over the last couple of months. Um, very outspoken young man, so I'm really excited for this podcast. Tell us, how are you doing? How have you been keeping busy these days? What's, what's happening in Nate's life? Uh, it's been good. I mean, um, just moved into a great new spot. Um, been been trying to find ways to stay busy of course you know with this with the the cancellation of the season and everything that's going on in the world um been running had a, had a great um august camp for my formula 11 football camps um which is great we raised some great money for um for our formula fund for ottawa youth which will fund our black and indigenous scholarship program um running some you know smaller group sessions obviously with covid we have to, we have to adjust a little bit on how we're gonna how we're gonna train um and then just working on my my most recent passion project slash the thing that has engulfed my life, which is a, a tech startup that I founded that I'm, I'm sure we'll chat a little bit farther on, but just, you know, staying busy in, in, in the most positive ways as possible. You know, spent a lot of time at the start of quarantine and sort of through June writing, um, hoping to carve out some more time to do that as well. It's just, you know, that's how she goes. It ebbs and flows. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, you sound very busy, but, you know, take us back to your earlier days, you know, how did, you know, how did Nate become a football player? You know, what, what was Nate into as a kid? How did he spend his free time? Did he pick his nose? Did he, was he like, what did you do growing up and how did you get to where you are? Um, yeah, growing up, I mean, I was always the, the skinniest little quick kid that like hopefully we'll get a halfback toss but we'll get folded at the other, the other times if you didn't get to the outside so I uh <laughs> I always loved football my mom and dad threw me my dad grew up in South Florida so he was always you know partial to football uh, they put they put me in it, I think when I was six or seven uh and I just took to it it just it, it grabbed me I started basketball a little bit while later which was my other passion for sure um but I mean that was it I would just play ball play in the neighborhood, um, get inside, whip my brother's butt and some NBA Live, whatever year it would be. And then, you know, then, then eventually I'd go to YouTube and search up one of the Michael Jordan commercials and get hyped up and just, you know, try to do some push-ups in the back. That was, that was pretty much it. I was fairly simple. It was just video games, football, and then, you know, a couple of workouts in the sunroom in between, in between the online games. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, NBA Live 2005, oh, that was great. the one that they introduced – the dunk buttons yep so you could you could come in and do whatever whatever with your buttons and do a 360 windmill on someone's head i'll never forget nba live 2005 cheap Stroll miles swift <laughs> Stroll miles swift the memphis grizzlies uh, he was unstoppable but i think at that point that's when you know live now kind of lost its footing because you know 2k just came and said all right clearly you guys don't know what you're doing and uh, yeah yeah look back since yeah look back since now, when did you start pursuing football as a passion of yours? And when did you realize you wanted to become a pro? Uh, I was 11 years old. I forget the park. It's in Yorkville, uh, in Toronto. I was shooting hoops with my brother, or sorry, not with my brother, with my, with my dad. Um, I think I was 11 or 12, maybe the oldest. I think I blocked him. And then they took him to the hoop and scored. And it was going into the summer. And he said, okay, you might be able to do something. Tell me right now, are you going to be a football player or a basketball player? Because we had OBAs, OBAs and OVFL season was starting, and I had to pick which one, Ramblers or Falcons. And I was like, football. And he's like, okay, cool. He rolled the basketball away and said, look, we get your cleats. And then from then it was wow. the rest of history. Yeah. Wow. 
the, Amer- the American how, way. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say how, you know, that's, that's, that's an amazing story. Um, you know, uh, for, uh, I grew up loving basketball and, you know, my, my love became love by watching Michael Jordan. And I remember, I think the, 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 90, the 98 series in the finals, watching it and being sick. Um, and just remember just seeing greatness on my TV and trying to go outside and replicate the moves, but being able, barely being able to even breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I remember. But that's such an amazing story that, you know, your dad came and said, yo, pick one now yeah. and let's focus. How, how influential was he in your upbringing as not only a football player, but as a man? Yeah, I mean, it was, he, he was great. I mean, he was, uh, he pushed me very, very hard, um, but he rewarded me as well. You know, that was, that was his big thing. He was always, uh, he was always focused, always determined, um, whether it was football or the other big one that we worked together a lot on was in, was my, was in karate. Um, I was a, a, a Canadian champion and, and continuous sparring a few years in a row and stuff. So I only see him, you know, every other week, usually I'd go down and take a bus down to Toronto or something like that. And then we'd spend the weekend, but the weekend was just always just training. He always made sure I had what I needed to, to work. And, and those moments were cherished and it kind of, I think, you know, when your dad's the one who's, who's training you, you don't get to see him all the time. Um, spending your time training with him. I think that also like shifts how shifts my opinion to trainer shifted my sort of the, the lens I saw working out and developing through because now it was attached to this like meaningful moment of like, this is the time I spent with my dad. Even on my own, it still ha- it still has this, uh, you know, sort of beautiful, meaningful um, thing, which I think carried through subconsciously through my whole life, which is, you know, you can't say enough about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what was it like to get your name called on draft day? Uh, it was, man, it was cool. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. We had a little draft party at a bar, um, a big group back when you were allowed to actually be in big groups. <laughs> the, uh, the cell phone was on loud sitting in the middle of the table. I mean, we were having pictures and, and drink, we were having drinking and eating wings, all that good stuff. And then I think we saw three go and then my phone rang. So then four went and then I walked, walked off and then they had the screens down in the whole bar. And so everybody's, everybody was watching the, the sound was on. Um, and so I think people didn't really realize why we were watching the CFL drought on, like, on such loud volume and stuff. And then I took the call and everyone celebrated. I think that everybody kind of in the whole restaurant was like, Oh wow, that's pretty damn cool. Right there. And so it was just a great vibe. Yeah. Yeah. People. Did you like, cry? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think by that point I was like a little tipsy and like feeling good. So yeah, like, was, it wasn't as like, you know, it wasn't as like heart wrenching. Ah, we did it moment. It was more just like, this is dope. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. It was good vibes. Now, has, has professional football been your only focus in life? Um, or is that one dream that helps fuels a few others? Yeah, I think it was like the, the taste of, blood in the sorry to use such a visceral reference but like it was all I focused on until I was probably 20 21 22 years old was just like mastering this I used to watch you know um, news by Kobe the documentary when all I talked about was like only thing on my mind is being the best athlete I can be if I'm gonna be a, if I'm gonna not be the best son not gonna be the best father not gonna be the best husband I'm okay with that because my goal is here and that's where I was for so long and I think shifting into professional sports and um and enjoying it and loving it but also seeing like where my life was going in terms of like what I wanted to be as sort of a family man, who I wanted to be as a man, took away a little bit of that in terms of like the be all end all. This is my, this is my everything, but I still have that competitive, that competitive spirit inside of me and that sort of coachability and desire to like always just get better at whatever it is. 
And so as different things have, you know, plucked my attention or grabbed me here and there, like a football camp here or a tech company here, I really feel like it's like, okay, well, I've, you know, I've done a great job with, with football. There's still a lot more I want to do, but like now I can sort of redirect some of that, like seven, eight year old, 10 year old me's energy into like mastering this. Okay. Let's go be, let's go be a founder. Let's go be a CEO of this thing. Let's dominate it. I want to be able to, like, I want to be able to look every other CEO in the eye and be like, I'm the one mother sucker. The same way I would want to, if I ran a fade right on somebody. Right. And so it's, it's great. I like, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, I love the ability that football has taught me how to sort of try to dominate and be the best I can be. And now it's just like, as things grab my attention, it's like, Hey, we're going to do it. We're going to be the best at it as best as we can. So it's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that mindset, man. Uh, athlete tech group, you know, helping athlete entrepreneurs and, and tech entrepreneurs come together. Um, but the worlds are so similar, you know, to be the best football player within a league of, you know, you're one of, I believe the CFL has four to 500 athletes, right? To be the best one out of four to 500, that requires a lot of focus, right? It requires a lot of discipline, determination, sacrifice. So, you know, the, the world of entrepreneurship is very similar. If you, if you want to be the best SaaS company, blockchain, whatever type of company, you need to focus, you need to be disciplined, you need to be able to take criticism, so on and so forth. So uh, like I said, I was excited for this conversation because you know your energy proceeds through the screen and through everyone's ears. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you definitely hit on a couple of things that are very, very, very important. Now I'd love for you to talk to us about Formula, Formula 11 and your football camps. How is, was that going and what is your goal with that? Um, so my, I'll start with sort of the goal of it. Like the reason I started, it was going to Edmonton my first year. Um, not knowing what to expect. I fell into an incredible situation. Other than my first two years, I played with Darrell Walker, who's the best, I think is the best receiver in the CFL. Spent time with the Tennessee Titans, was a, was a dog at, at A&M. Um, Duke Williams, who was is with the, you know, was in the NFL for over a year and a half. I'm sure he's going to get another sniff. Um, Brandon Zilstra who's currently with the Carolina Panthers. Um, Brian Mitchell, Brian, Brian, uh, BZ are still two of my, still two of my really good friends. We talk every single day. It's all memes and whatnot in the group chat, but Hey, it's still, <laughs> still counts. And Brian's going to get his other shot in the NFL as well. Had a Darius Bowman who's going to be a hall of famer. It was this incredible experience. I went into it raw, you know, somewhat developed route running wise, but still raw in the grand scheme of things. And I saw like, okay, so athletically I stack up. This is all great. I can lift, I can run, I can jump, I can do all these things, but there's just technique things that I don't think we learn, especially at, the, especially at this position here in Canada from an early enough age. So it's just things that are second nature to these athletes, to these guys that grew up, you know, playing receiver for this long. And so I want to just start to shift that. I want to just help coach. I want to help coach coaches. I want to do all these little things. Just bring that, bring this knowledge just to a more mainstream thing. Like, because I feel like a, a lot of cases with football, it's like, even when you talk schemes and stuff, it's always like, oh, well, they're not going to be able to do that. Or, oh, they're not going to be able to guess, yeah, figure that out. And it's like, I've always believed, no matter what we talk about, I can we talk about activism too with kids. It's like, the more you give them, the more they'll do. It's just that simple. Like, they're sponges. They can figure this all out. So that's why I started it. Um, our goal is just to keep sort of bringing that energy and bringing that, bringing that outlet. Um, we're never going to be an exhaustive program. We're something that supplements. We want kids to play basketball, to play volleyball, do all that. Just come when you're with us for an hour, an hour and a half. It's just straight technique teaching you how to teach yourself and coach yourself so that when you run a route and you go, Oh, I dropped on the wrong foot. Okay. Yeah. That's what it was. You run it clean. Okay. Okay. But I rounded at the top. I feel it. So they can self, because once you learn how to self, uh, self coach yourself and fix as you go in real time, 
you just take off as an athlete. Your development takes off and we want to do that and just keep going. If we stay in Ottawa, we stay in Ottawa. If we, you know, if it continues to grow and we spread across the province, then Hey, that's all good too. But as long as we help one kid, I'm feeling pretty good. Absolutely. And very, very important. I know there, there's something that you talked about, you know, the development of people that play your position. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the CFL is not a great league. It's not as good as the NFL and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on the CFL in terms of how competitive it is and yeah. how, how challenging it could be? Like, talk mm-hmm. to us about that. I think, uh, I think if people understood and like researched the rosters, like took time to see everybody, like not everybody, but you know, see some guys' backstories, you'd be shocked. Like the guys on my team, I'm not going to drop names, but it's like, it's not because it's not a DSP. You know, like there's a dude, there's a dude <laughs> who I played with last year who I watched on his highlight tape, him sacking Peyton Manning as a rookie in the NFL. Like I've seen him do X, Y, Z. Then he came to, then he came to the CFL. And I honestly, until I like saw the highlight tape, I didn't even realize he was in the NFL for years wow. as a, as a rush end. Like that's a, that's a million dollars. That's a big position. And that happens all the time. You know, there's these guys that come from big name schools. They were all Americans, X, Y, Z. And it's like, they just can't hang. And it's just, it's so, it's so bizarre to me. All these big names you see take off and have that like one year, especially a receiver, it's easy one. It's like, they were stuck on a practice roster for one or two years. Not because they didn't know how to play CFL football. They just, they weren't good enough yet. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's just, it's so obvious when you're in it. Like, it's just such a ludicrous statement to me. Um, because the difference between making an NFL roster and not is a hair. Mm-hmm. Is a hair. It's who you know, and it can be a hair. It can be that simple. Um, like my, I, I can use my example. And by no, I, I don't think I was anywhere near close enough, good enough to actually make the roster. But I was in minicamp, rookie minicamp with the Giants. Um, and I know what rep it was. I know what rep screwed me. I caught a dig right over the, over the middle. Uh, and I hit my knee. I dropped my knee. And I was stuck in my college way. So I didn't burst after it and try to go score a touchdown. And it got ripped in film. It was like, you need to finish your rep. I was like, oh, yeah, it was just a gap. But then when they made cuts at minicamp, the AGM brought me over. was like, man, we want you to know you're this close. You're one roster spot away. We had to keep a, we had to keep a running back just for our numbers. Like, it looked great. And to be honest, I ain't done much in the CFL. Like, truly and honestly. There's a lot more I know I can do, but I haven't done – and it was that close to at least being in a main camp at the, with the Giants. And I'm, and I'm not anywhere near the first, first name someone would talk of when we talk about the best receivers in the CFL. And it's like, it's that close for me, so imagine how close it is for all these guys. And that's the right. thing that people don't get is it's just it's such a competitive market and, like, literally you slipping on a route could be the reason you don't make it over somebody you're better than. And that guy could then have an eight-year career on special teams or something. It's just like that. That's crazy. Is it? Do you do you do you think it's more of a, a mindset thing? Oh yeah. Like I, I obviously there's politics involved, right? There's, but those things you can't control. For an athlete that's you know within the CFL or NFL, uh, or the CFL trying to get to the NFL or vice versa or whatever the case may be, what what can an you know an athlete do to get themselves to that level, right? Because you, you just mentioned, you know, you, you ran the, the route and you dropped your knee and went back to your old ways and you didn't burst. Is it, you know, more being, being more mentally prepared? Is it spending more time with yourself? Is it watching more film? Like, what, what is it? Yeah, I mean, like, I think with everything, like, again, I mean, I'll use uh, Brandon Zilstra's favorite quote. He used to always just yell at me. Cause I get in my head so much, but it's just control, <laughs> control what you can control and let the rest, let the rest play itself out. Uh, you know, and like what you can control is just your work ethic and how you attack this stuff and, and all, and, and all that daily. 
Like it's, like I said, so much of it's going to be luck. So much of it, so much of it's going to be chance, you know, Hey, even if I dropped that ball, but you know, maybe they had two, they signed, didn't cut two running backs in preseason leading up to mini camp. Maybe they take me to camp. And then at that point, who knows what happens? Like, so all right. those, like all you can do is, is work on you. Um, you know, there's days that I wish I had back. I used to always talk about, you know, when I talk to athletes, like treating every single day in your development, like monop- like a monopoly board, like as long as you take, you can take three steps forward. And you're going to make decisions that take you back. But as long as you finish the day a step, you know, a boardwalk place ahead, you're, going, you're moving in the right direction. And there's days where I've taken two back and only one forward. And I know that. And you, you live with those regrets and, and, you, and you count them. So it's just about minimizing those and, and keeping the positive momentum. Absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds a lot like just making sure you have the right mindset um, as we continue to move forward. Now, I, I want to get into your, 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 your startup and we get into you know your business interests i have to know about that hail mary catch at the panda games in 2014 yeah Yeah, yeah, that's great i mean that's coaching every before every single game we went through our hail mary package about where the tip was going to go but where we all be positioned on the clock and made sure that it works you know i was supposed to be at like 11 or 12 o'clock that's exactly where i was we have a guy you know right in front of it and we formed that triangle because the point man's not supposed to make the catch He's the, uh, he's the sacrificial lamb, and that's what happened. Um, Ottawa U sucks, and so they, they played right into our hands. <laughs> I got to say that. Uh, and they play, so they played right into their, our hands. I mean, so much of that stuff is luck, man. You know, that thing just fell, and I just saw it was in the hands, and then I pretty much blacked out. I took a couple steps, and then it's like black, blacked out chaos. I, woke, I remember kind of coming to, and the team's on top, and then we're just, there was just like five, 7,000 kids on the field screaming and partying, and it was wild. <laughs> I think that's absolutely amazing. All right. So, you know, since the CFL season has been canceled, you know, I know you're starting a business and, you know, we'll get to that. But did you know what you wanted to do or did an idea come from uh, the COVID lockdown? Uh, It came a little bit before COVID lockdown. So, like, I started kind of fleshing the idea out January, February. Um, And then the lockdown and as much as I, you know, you almost feel guilty being like the lockdown helped me. Um, because it hurt so many people and it's hurt so many businesses, which I completely feel for. But in my personal case, sort of the, the reprieve and having to step back from everything was sort of that moment of clarity of like, hey, let's just attack it. What else am I going to do? I can't play that many hours of FIFA in a day. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I had a little bit of this idea and then the, you know, isola- the isolation and, and, and quarantine was just like, man, let's just go head first into this thing. As I usually do, I just make a decision and just attack it as best as I can, usually blindly and with flailing arms, but we, we still attack it nonetheless. Um, and then it, it, it just materialized and continued to grow. And I got so, so, so lucky with, uh, with great partners, um, and sort of were patient with me as I rambled through nonsense for, for months. And now we're two months away from, or a month and a half away from launch. And I, I can't wait. Wow. 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 We're going to get to it. I know you want to talk. We're almost there. We're almost there. Has pursuing business always been an interest for you? Was it something you were going to focus on post-career and, you know, COVID just kind of accelerated it for yeah. you because now you have some more time on your hands? I would say so. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that I would have like considered fully starting a business that like required me to be close to full time um without it because leading up to leading up to lockdown i was on i was on legit two days and three days four days a week uh in the gym like i was 7 a.m 3 p.m then routes at six so like there was just not that much time i was fleshing out the idea and playing with some business models etc but like 
it wasn't in my head to like go all in and then not being able to train the way I was and not being able to work with quarterback, all these sort of things was like, again, like I said, it was like, we'll just do it. And I think I've always had the spirit to do it. Like I've always known in my head that like, I wasn't really able to like punch in, punch out as an employee anywhere. Um, it's also like kind of just against my, it's called my political philosophy uh, in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, so I just, I knew, but I didn't know which way or how it was going to materialize. So I think, yeah, COVID really did just, you know, push it forward. Absolutely. Now tell us about your business. Tell us about the name. Tell us about, you know, the concept. How did the idea come and what makes you passionate about it? Absolutely. So uh, autonomy marketing. So ATNMY um, is a cross-platform mobile and web application for businesses on one side, um, businesses in health, wellness, um, fashion, athletic wear, nutrition sort of areas. Everything centers somewhat around sports, as we'll see, to find and engage with influencers on the, on the other side. But our influencers are more specific than just that general term. We're working, we're working with pro athletes, Olympians, and then fitness, health, and wellness influencers all on this side to find the brands they love, connect with them, and run campaigns for them over social media. So run their influencer campaigns. So if we use an example, um, if you know, uh, a household name like Nike was on one side, and they wanted to run an influencer campaign for their new shoe line, for their new Air Max campaign, something like that, they'd be able to come to our platform, post about it, and then find athletes that want to work with them. And they, all the application, everything's handled within our platform. So, you know, we, we do content approval, we do uh, our own CRM and negotiation, we do legal um, and payments all processed through us. It's really the turnkey solution for, for businesses, and we really want to be able to service small to medium-sized businesses. The, um, the idea came to me because I had a few friends in the span of a week, I think I had three different people reach out to me, asking for help like hey man you think you got some like some athletes you can help me with just like uh i just need some influencers because i'm starting a new business it was three random separate friends two of them named austin yeah, it was just crazy it was complete luck gear started spinning gear started spinning and then i started thinking about it and it's always been a thing in locker rooms like you know why is timmy timmy two left feet got a new sponsorship deal when he can't even crack our active roster how did that happen you know what i mean like <laughs> like it, doesn't, it never has made sense to, to to us especially in the cfl you know and like in canada there's not yeah. a lot mega stars you know we have our Connor McDavid's our Sidney Crosby's but for the most part we don't proliferate and, and hold up athletes to sort of that to sort of that same standard that it does in the, in the U.S. which also means it's a little bit harder to have that huge brand name recognition as an individual so they're not all these brands don't exactly not line up at your door or in your DMs and so it's like how do I go where do I find them so I wanted to help athletes just make this easier it's not a complicated process brands want athletes they just don't really know where to go and the athletes don't really know where to go so the easiest solution is let's just bring them together. Uh, the name autonomy comes from the famous Kanye line. Sorry, John Hardaway, if you're listening to this, that's my agent, but all my agents know that I hate agents. Uh, so, so where we come from a little bit is that we don't want athletes to think they need to let somebody take 15 to 20%. They don't need to work with an agency to find them the same deal that they can easily negotiate for themselves. Um, so we want them to just use our platform for free. There's a small autonomy fee that essentially just pays for, you know, payment processing. But we want this money to stay in your pocket because people are paying you. They're not paying for, for Ari Gold to come and work a deal for you. They don't love Ari Gold. They love the athlete. They love Vincent right. Chase, not Ari Gold. So Vincent Chase should see all of his money. Um, and that's where we're at. We're a couple months away, or so, like I said, a month and a half away. And I'm just, like, I, I get buzzing with excitement whenever I talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's definitely a market that, is really untapped you know there's some competitors in this space that do this already but no one focuses on the you know small to medium-sized businesses or the you know the, the not as big athletes mm -hmm. right and the the 
instead of getting DeMar DeRozan, like, like let's go after, oh, I was going to say OG, but OG's kind of a star now after that yeah, shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> after the shot and the scars. The scars help too. And the, and the scars. <laughs> let's go after Malcolm Miller. And exactly that. That process should be a lot easier, 100%. Mm-hmm. Now, how does your business make money in this process? Yeah, absolutely. So we're on a SaaS model. So we have three, three separate tiered um, tiered packages, so a basic, a pro, and an, an enterprise. Um, and we also have an a la carte method for people that want to come try the service, which is taxed on with a little bit of a higher autonomy fee to help with that churn rate of people coming in and coming through. Um, we're competitively priced as an understatement. Um, I truly believe that most of our competitors decided one day to just throw a, throw a number at a dartboard and times it by 100 because that's how it seems like they're priced. Um, there's no need for most of the things that, that go on in the market. And it does just price out all the small to medium sized businesses and we didn't want to do that. And we also get that, you know, when you're SaaS and you know that you're working with the Coca-Cola's of the world, these massive agencies, you can throw any price tag along and if you package it well online and they're going to buy it because they have the money, but we're not interested in doing that. We want to drive real value and show you that your ROI is actually converting into something. Not because, you know, not because you're spending so much money that it's, you're always going to have this sort of incoming clientele. We want to show that we've helped you get there and that you can actually grow and scale your business and, and touch new markets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you guys are pre-revenue as of today. Yep. Um, how do you, how would you, how do you see yourself marketing this, right? Once you officially launch, what kind of marketing plans and, and strategies are, are you seeing yourself put in place to get this thing off the ground? Absolutely. So our beta, um, as we go into our beta in November, um, we're, it's, a, it's a lot of sales work more than, more than it is marketing for now, um, but that's just to get us there because we're going with a very select um, few qualified leads that we're going to bring in. Um, we have over 15 committed now. We're probably only going to roll through our beta pro process with about 10 brands and probably around 150 to 200 athletes maximum. But once you know everything's, all the dots are, or all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, our marketing efforts are really going to be you know, geared towards our, bringing on more athletes um, primarily, and then we're going to continue our sales outreach to brands. There will be some there will be some marketing spend you know put aside to to working to try to find some b2b um but we really want you know word of mouth and, and direct because our leads need to be qualified we don't really want any just anybody coming on the platform that is the tough thing about being priced the way we are is that people that may not be perfect for influencer marketing could have access to us so we want to be able to vet that process and that's that kind of makes it's a little difficult with marketing um when you're bringing in so many marketing leads we will we have a couple of fun ideas i've been working with actually a content creator here in here in the ottawa area we have some great ideas for some, you know, some fun commercials and stuff that, uh, that, that play into the athlete thing and about how, you know, listen to the same old tired people can be boring and athletes, you know, bring some fresh perspective, but we're really, we're going to, going to leverage our influencers. I mean, what's an influencer marketing platform that doesn't leverage influencers. So leveraging our athletes to, to, you know, disseminate our information to their networks is going to be huge for us. And we really plan on you know, diving into that in, in the new year, January, and definitely in a Q1. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the big things um, in the topic of, of, of marketing and social and, um, um, you know, growing companies is data, right? How important is data going to play to, to your company? Are you guys going to be collecting as much information on the athlete as possible? Are you going to be asking them their shoe size? Are you going to be asking them, you know, their pant size, their belt size, do they prefer, you know, Nike or like, well, how much data do you really plan to, to secure from the athlete? Yeah. I mean, all the, all the metadata that we can grab is, is going to be pulled in because at the end of the day, we're a marketing tool and marketing 
is it's no longer you know the mad men sitting in the office being like hey cigarettes are cool let's talk about let's just put a guy in a suit marketing is data same as sports everything is going that way as, as we both know um so pulling the pulling in all that metadata categorizing it keeping it clean um, we have a data scientist who we're going to bring on board we already worked with one we have an ai and ml guy that we're going to bring on once you once we begin to scale our back end's duty right now is to keep everything as clean as possible so that when they show up it's like you know when they when they show up to the, to the court their socks are pressed, their jerseys right where they need it to be so that they can get to work and start pumping out some crazy stuff. Our, the analytics we're approaching this at is, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am. Everybody that we talk to about it, I'm not going to get into too much detail in a, in a public setting about you know, how we're attacking our analytics, but we're coming at it with a fresh perspective. Um, I think it's much the same as you know the revolution that you saw in sports on analytics as well. When people who weren't football people or people who weren't basketball people brought their, you know, their scientific mind and their mathematical mind to it, and just blew up everything and changed preconceived notions because it's like, no, the facts actually say this. So we're bringing some of those perspectives to the way we approach, you know, campaign analytics and post-campaign reporting. And I, I truly believe it's going to be somewhat revolutionary and disruptive in the, in the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is great. I'm excited to see autonomy, you know, hit the market and allow athletes to continue to build their brands. And obviously you've built a great brand for yourself, uh, public facing and, uh, getting in the community and now, you know, this entrepreneurial arm, but, you know, from your perspective, Nate, how can athletes from, you know, smaller markets or, you know, smaller followings really build a brand for themselves um, while um, still being a professional athlete? Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's knowing, this is the corniest answer ever. And I apologize, but I think it's knowing <laughs> who you are, honestly. Like, I think that there's something to be said about people's, BS detector in general. Doesn't matter what it is. Like if I got on and started trying to, you know, push a random vegan trend to everybody and talk about how important, like, not that I don't care about animals, but it's just not me. It's just it, when when stuff just pops up out of the blue because there's obviously some sort of commodified value to it. People can smell that and sense that. And so much of my, I've actually been conflicted with so much of the, I guess, the current or recent, you know, um, conversation and press and et cetera, or just in general, you know, influx of, of communications with me in the media, um, because it's like, it's happened directly correlated to trauma and, you know, suffering in the black community, um, with some of the things I've wrote and the work that I've done. So even that to me, it's like, it, you know, it breaks my heart to feel like there's a positive correlation between the two, but it is who I am. It's who I've always been. I've always, I've always read up on, I've read, always read up on issues. I've always researched essays and read, read essays on these topics and people, can feel that I think that, that it is a genuine thing coming out of me. And that right. makes people want to listen. Uh, and that could be about a Black Lives Matter movement. That could be about farming corn. If, the, if you, you, know, you, know, you grew up in, if you grew up in the Midwest, that's what you do. Like whatever it is, if you're truthful and honest and there's an, there's an audience to hear it, they're going to find it. Um, you just got to continue to continue to do it and just be who you are. Absolutely. Now being who you are, I think, you know, this speaks to the trend of, I remember there was a time on social media, you know, the, the bigger the number of the followers you had, the more money you would make, right? And there was a time where all people cared about was, do they have a blue check mark? How many Ks and Ms beside their follower count? Now, you know, micro influencers are, are the thing because it's, it's more organic. It, 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 it feels like, you know, someone that has 2,000 followers as opposed to 2 million, those 2,000 followers are, are probably a community that that influencer has built, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, to, to, to the people around them, they're considered a thought leader 
in whatever it is, whether it's health and wellness, vegan, so on and so forth. So I think, you know, with uh, autonomy, being able to focus on the micro influencer and giving them a platform could be astronomical. All I want to say is just don't forget about us little people when you meet. <laughs> Remember, we brought you here first. That's don't forget it. about us. That's all it. right. <laughs> this is Autonomy's first podcast, so we can't, we'll never forget bet. it. Yeah, there you go. Bet, bet, bet. Now, what do you think, you know, leagues like the CFL can do to further prepare, you know, their players for, for entrepreneurship and life after football? Um, that's a great question. I think um, just the more humanity that's brought to the athlete, um, the easier the conversation becomes. I think that's the first stepping stone with any, with any league is humanizing your athlete and realizing that they're not just, you know, the meat and bones that runs the, the that can double team and climb to the Mike linebacker. Like they're more, every single person is more than that. Um, I think the PA is doing a great job with their initiatives. You know, they, they do stuff. They work at the basket university. They've done stuff trying to get, you know, building discount codes and, and helping with promotions to become a firefighter, et cetera. Like they, they're trying these things. I mean, it would be great to have the league, you know, and I'm not hundred percent sure how the inner workings go behind the scenes, but to have the league make these things more well-known and, 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 build more avenues because it's no secret that CFL players aren't billionaires. Um, and the time spent in the off season is critical. You know, if you can help supplement guys wages in the off season by doing things that are going to help them afterwards. I think that's the thing where guys get stuck um, is that people just don't often know like, Hey, what can I do now for four to five months while working on my schedule that is going to prepare me after my hopefully 10 year career because it's tough to go into the job market. I, I would imagine I'm not there yet, but at 33 or 34 without prior experience other than catching a football. And obviously catching a football helps and, and networking and all that helps, but to see a league, you know, really lean into the fact and, and accept, and I think that's part of it too, is like under, as being able to be okay with the marketing and branding that comes around, knowing that your players aren't millionaires, that they work on you. Like, I don't feel any shame. I, that, that can matter to me less. Like that's just five months to, to make more money and set myself up, set my kids up to go to the university they want. Like I don't need to be some superstar who doesn't work. That's just, those are just times to work. Um, so I think that's, that's the main thing. Just humanizing us and realizing that they could help project us into, into our next lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Humanizing us. And it's crazy that we, you know, that we look at, you know, we have to use these terms, right? Because we're all humans, but mm -hmm. in the world of business, you know, the product are the athletes, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we leverage the product to make as much money as possible? I think, you know, people forget that you guys are still people, <laughs> even fans. This, I think this also goes to fans as well. Like you, you can't come and talk about someone's mom because, because of the jersey they're wearing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still like, I still have to like pee after the game. I still got to take a shit after the game. I still got to eat just like you. So like, I feel, you know, as, as great as sports is in, in terms of unifying and bringing people together. And, you know, I was reading this article the other day, Nate, about how sports has grown, right? Sports was first just a, a thing for, it was just a hobby and it took entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship to turn sports into a business and commercialize it. Um, I think the thing within sports that, you know, people do forget is the humanization aspect. And also the, the fact that, you know, 
these athletes, you athletes um, have given your life to this thing, right? So, you know, I, I understand the booing and, you know, cheering for the other team. But when, especially when fans cross the line, it bothers the hell out of me. Oh, because the God. amount of, you know, the focus and energy and attention and sacrifice that as an athlete, you've had to, to get yourself to this point. Who are you to come and speak out of my name or, or talk out of place? You know, I, uh, yeah, for all you fans out there that act crazy, relax. I had a, relax. I had a contract dispute my, my rookie year, uh, new GM. Uh, agent and button heads. I'm in the middle of it, obviously. And I'm not there for the first day of camp. I had, I had people tweeting at me. They took the time to at Nate Bahar 11 and saying, we hope you tear your knees out the first time you step on the field. Just crazy stuff like that. Like, we, you know, we hope that they keep you on the roster and never even let you sniff. Like, it's just, it's like, but why? You know, Danny Green's wife was getting, de like, death threats, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and that's the craziest thing. And, like, for everybody that thinks that they're not, like that they're not part, part of the dehumanizing. If you play NFL fantasy, I get, I beg you to watch a game of a, with a team, you know, whatever that you don't care about. And when someone gets hurt, see if you go, Oh my gosh, that's that poor guy. Or if you go, bro, my fantasy, yo, I need four more points. <laughs> and like, if you can't see how those go together, like you are literally seeing this person as just a product to you. This is the means to an end of winning a meaningless championship that might have a hundred dollars on it. Like, and it's just, if that thing, that's just prolifer. If that happens at that level, think about what the billion, billionaire owners think about these people. It's mm -hmm. just, you see, you can feel it. Everyone's, everyone's a, everyone's a, um, to blame for that. I mean, I've done the same thing. I've, I've thought, damn it. And I go, oh, wait, uh, that was cool. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, um, I'll give you two examples. Um, Anthony Bennett. Anthony Bennett was my first client in, in the world of sports. Um, but before he became my client, he was just my friend. And um, Anthony, I remember when Anthony was picking his college. It was UNLV, Oregon, Kentucky, um, and I think it was Texas were the four schools. Anthony picked UNLV, and you know, you know, the Blue Nation or Big Blue Nation fans. We hope you tear your ACL. We hope you never play basketball again. I'm like, yo, Anthony, are you okay? You're like 18 and the world hates you because you choose, you chose a school for yourself. Uh, Anthony was like, yeah, I don't care. I don't pay attention to that. Um, so, you know, that, that was, I was like, whoa, this is, this is different because I, you know, now I'm on the side of like, why, why are they talking about you like this? Um, and another example was, you know, I was at uh, game five of the finals you remember KD came first quarter had like 12 points or 11 min 11 points in 12 minutes and he was gonna go crazy oh yeah <laughs> I don't know if he would have had a title if he played the rest of that game yep <laughs> um but even then I remember I remember when he he he, he pulled his Achilles or tore it the arena erupted mm -hmm. for like 10 seconds like a yeah and I went yeah whoa whoa hold on yeah <laughs> what if he's never able to play basketball again? Mm -hmm. Like I literally went through that. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. This is, this is not good mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where we, we, we need to continue to hu be empathetic, mm -hmm. being more and more empathetic, mm -hmm. uh, not just with athletes, with other people. We really don't know what other people are going through. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, as much as people will put a smile and say, I'm fine, I'm fine really means 50,000 other things. Ooh. So, 
Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, now, a lot of athletes. Sorry, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. Oh there, no, I love that. A lot of athletes are, are looking to invest and get involved in other opportunities outside of their immediate sport. Do you think that more athletes need to be educated on investing and um, education around entrepreneurship? Mm-hmm. And in your opinion, Nate, what do you think those opportunities could look like? Yeah, I think that. Um... I mean, this is it's funny you ask me because I'm notoriously the worst with money. Uh, <laughs> but it's not for a lack of it's not for lack of uh, education. I think you should take that back, sir. You're about to raise money for a company. I don't think you say that out loud. <laughs> I'm personally my own personal budget. <laughs> and it's not for lack of education. <laughs> it is uh it is a personal thing. Trust me, I have a I have a CFO. Don't worry. I have a CFO. Okay, my bad. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Um, yeah, no, it's just like, because education is huge. I think getting the right people around you and the right support system um, is, is important. I, have, I can go philosophical for all these questions, I feel like, but it's like, it all comes down to two, like a little bit of like knowledge, like what they, what everybody needs to know about themselves. Cause I knew that that was a place where I lacked. So early on in my career brought, you know, started working with a money guy, somebody who could help in that, in that area. Um, so you just have to know your deficiencies, right? You have to know where you're weaker and defensive head coaches in football hire strong offensive coordinators because they're not going to course the offense. It's just that simple. Um, and then from there, like, you know, learning, having somebody educate you about personal finances, about, you know, how, how taxes really work, how, you know, what you need to be looking forward to, to get that mortgage, et cetera. And, and then how to invest, where to invest and, you know, how to qualify your risk tolerance, et cetera. Like those things are important. And it's just things that, as we know, like don't get covered. That's not in the grade 12 curriculum too often. It's definitely not in most, it's definitely not in most uh, athletes grade 12 curriculum. Cause my grade 12 was like, you know, home ec gym. And then like the one university course I needed to scrape into Carleton. Like it was that, like that's where our heads are at. So mm-hmm. that education is something, I think the PA has, has tried some stuff. I know that we've had some of them come through um, for meetings or like once or twice in, in, a, in a year. Um, but it's so important because the money can come quick. You know, there's no reason that a signing bonus is as modest in the grand scheme as like 15 or $20,000 can't turn into more when it's handled properly. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's just discipline. Like if we can all take the discipline that got us to where we are as an athlete and put it to our finances, we'd be in a pretty damn good spot. That's speaking from experience. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 150 million percent. You, I think you, you touched on a couple of things there in and around uh, being transactional versus being perpetual. Mm-hmm. Uh, perpetuity is, is, is the name of the game, right? No matter what happens, I'm good, mm-hmm. right? So um, for athletes that are, that are listening, man, you know, get outside of your comfort, you know, get off of, you know, your Twitch and, and your, your IG DMs and, all of the things that you think are important mm-hmm. because, you know, we saw it this year, COVID came and said, nobody's getting paid for X amount of months. Nobody, like nobody, you know, and your X amount of millions of followers or, you know, the people that really love you, they didn't really care as much. Mm-hmm. Everyone had their own problems to deal with. Right. So um, for all athletes listening, you know, find ways to grow. And this goes to all entrepreneurs, find ways to grow, do more, be more, find ways to collaborate, network. Um, there's the, the, the world is your oyster and you know chaos creates opportunities. And that's what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Chaos creating 
opportunities. One of my now, favorite things about growth, sorry, just to touch, is the idea for anybody, I'm not gonna dive into too much, but having a growth mindset versus mm-hmm. a fixed mindset. I spend a lot of time talking about this and sort of some of the Wim Hof meditation stuff I do with uh, Dan DeLewis from my, my sports doctor, John Steen here in town. But just having a growth mindset that like, I can be bad at this now, but I can grow to it versus like a fixed mindset of, this is my quick character trait that is stuck in time and stone. It's just fixed mindsets, you, you're always gonna be stuck in the most simple ways. Like, uh, maybe I, I'm not a good cook. There's literally no reason for that to be a fact. There's nothing perpetual, there's nothing inherent about that in, on planet Earth. And a growth mindset is just the most important thing on, on, in, the, in the world. Absolutely. Growth mindset. Get 1% better every day. Exactly. Just 1%. Just 1%. Now, a couple more questions for you, Nate. In and around, you know, being an athlete, being an entrepreneur, um, being a good-looking guy, how do you make time for yourself? Like, how do you take care of Nate? Like, what's your self-care tip for an entrepreneur that's listening? Yeah. Um, one would be, and this is one I'm also saying to myself, I'm going to stare myself in the screen when I say this one is like, do the things that you know, are make you happier that aren't fun as well. You know, like when you don't like my biggest one right now is like doing my Wim Hof breathing. Like I, you know, all you have to do is do breathing techniques for five minutes a day. And as you, as you ramp up and it's just like the euphoria, everything that comes with it to me is like, I know it, but it's annoying when I have all, we all had that. You have so many things, in your checklist, five minutes sounds like an eternity to spend not doing them. But when I do it, oh my gosh, those things get checked off so much faster too, because I'm just like in the right headspace. So do those and then be okay with like the mindless stuff too. That's like, okay, like don't go, you know, swallow a bucket of sugar. But like, I do, I will, I will, you know, chunk out. Like I'm, if I've answered like 20, 20, 30 straight emails, I'm like just flooded in my brain. I will literally be like, I'll tell my girl to like, no, no, I'm going downstairs. I'm going to go play 30 minutes of FIFA. I'm going to go play two games of FIFA and my brain is going to do nothing. And it's going to be incredible. I'm going to just stare at the screen like a zombie 13 year old eating Cheetos. And then you come out of it, you're like, oh, wow. You go upstairs, have a glass of water, maybe a coffee. And you're like, okay, that was a nice, like feel, give yourself those luxuries. Cause like life is great. And like chasing the hustle and all that stuff is amazing. But like without doing things that you actually enjoy and obviously the hustle for, I think people like you and I is the, what we enjoy. Without those, without being able to switch off, like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like if you don't mm. recharge a little bit, then then damn man, it's not gonna work for too long. Mm. Mm. You can't pour. Where do you hear that from? Uh, actually, funny enough, my girlfriend yells at me all the time. I'll be shout out to shout out time. to wife. Oh yeah, <laughs> answering emails at three a.m. <laughs> she's a yoga, she owns a yoga studio, so she's like, all, she's all she brings me zen. She brings me peace. Uh, that's love. That is love. Are you a yogi? Uh, yeah, a little bit, you know, working a little shavasana. Yeah. Three or four, three or four a week. So fairly. That's good. Really quickly, Nate, you know, you, you wrote an amazing article about social injustice. How do you think a group of athletes such as yourself can have an impact on this black movement? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can do, um, is elevate voice, elevate people's consciousness to listen and digest other voices in the space. Um, the truth of the matter is that, you know, nobody from CBC to CTV to whoever I've done interviews with should be asking me about racial injustice in the world. I'm like fairly well read and like I can articulate some pretty words and like make things sound flowery, but like 
I'm 20, I guess I just turned 26. I'm 26 years old. And I'm like, that's not my major. You know, I'm not, I'm not a professor at diaspora. I'm not all these different things. But if people are going to listen to me, then as begrudgingly as, as I'm going to have these conversations, I'm going to say, okay, now go listen to the people that have been fighting this fight for their entire life. Go read James Baldwin. Go read Tony Morrison. Go, go read and digest information from people that deserve to be heard that just simply aren't because they don't have a blue check next to their name because they don't wear stupid tights and get their butt slapped by coaches on the way down the field. Like, all the, like, there's nothing about what I do that makes my voice important. But the simple fact of the matter is people will listen. So our job as an athlete should be to direct people to the, to the, you know, to the voices that need to be heard. I love that. That was that. Yeah. You definitely hit it on the head, direct people to the voices that do need to be heard, but you're, you're still a voice that you still, you know, you have these, these struggles, you know, as a, as a black man and, um, but you're not fighting these same struggles like, you know, some other people are. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when athletes take the stand and say, you know what, I am going to speak on this because if I don't, the next person, you know, behind me might not get that chance. So mm -hmm. um, I definitely commend you for, you know, stepping up and, and speaking up because um, there's, there's a lot of voices that are unheard. So mm -hmm. um, I, I really appreciate you uh, today, Nate, for, for, for joining us for uh, an amazing conversation about your life, about the game that you love, um, about your yoga stretches and <laughs> your business and, you know, the way you see the world. And at, at 26, I, you know, I have no doubt in my mind, you know, by the time you're 30, 32, 34, 35, we might not be able to get a hold of you, but that's okay. <laughs> we still have the footage. <laughs> we still For have life. the footage. For life. For life, my guy, Nate Bohar. Thank you once again for joining us on another episode of the Unplugged Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Osei. Nate, any final words? Um, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you having me. Everybody go read a book, get a dog, you'll be much happier. And then go to autonomymarketing.com when you get a chance. Exactly. All right.